What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack for your uh, career, well, your back probably hates you. Yeah. So go and uh, get yourselves one of those and do it right. But in addition to the most well-built, the most comfortable, and the most badass Fireline pack in the fire game, they make a ton of other awesome stuff. Specifically, I'm going to highlight two very important packs, and that's for a very specific reason. They make the Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase in Wildfire Black. Both of them come in Wildfire Black. Well, if you guys are, uh, and girls out there are looking for a last-minute Christmas gift or maybe some Black Friday's stuff, well, head over to www.mysteryranch.com and pick you up some of these uh, three-way briefcases or these Urban Assault 21s. Why? Because... 10% of the proceeds from the sales of these packs go directly back into funding the Backbone Series scholarships. And that brings me to my next point. If you haven't checked out the Backbone Series and you don't know what it's all about, well, I highly suggest you go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone Series. It's highlighting those individuals that are going above and beyond in the line of duty and extracurricular activities that they're doing to further their careers. And Check this out. Everybody uh, who puts their name in the hat, you have an opportunity to win a $1,000 scholarship. In order to do that, all you got to do is swing over there to Mystery Ranch, submit your Backbone Series story, and if you're selected, boom. Easy as that. You get a $1,000 grant. That is pretty badass. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also brought to you by our homies over at... Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. That is kind of cool. You know what? I've never thought about it this way, but uh, everybody who's an advertiser on my podcast gives back to the community in some way, shape, or form. It's pretty awesome. But aside from that, check this out. Besides kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, they make a ton of other stuff, like all of your Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So if you want to check out more and maybe uh, pick up some Christmas-themed stuff, they got that dropping now. So get it while it's hot. It's a Black Friday uh, shopping consumerism nightmare that we call Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Head over to www.hotshopbrewing.com and pick yourselves up some some swag. Yeah. And while you're at it, you could pick up some of yours truly's swag. Yeah. That would be the Anchor Point podcast. But if you are looking for one of those Fire Fiend tees or one of those Band of Brother tees, they've got them. So swing over there. What are you waiting for? Once again, www.hotshopbrewing.com. Check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you don't know what that stands for, well, it's an acronym. It stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. It's a cause that we can all get behind. Let's see how many puns I can throw in here. So if you uh, have a problem pooper and need to educate them about the proper etiquette of burying their turds, well... This is your opportunity. You can get the finest in poo-bearing propaganda over at www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. It's a little separate page there and they have a whole web store and you can get all of your poo-bearing propaganda essentials taken care of. Hell, they even have a turd trowel if you have a problem pooper on your crew or uh, a family member or you want to get a funny gift. Yeah, go over there and check it out. But it's an awesome cause that I can get behind. And, uh, yeah, there's nothing more than I hate. There's nothing more that I hate than walking along the trail and seeing a gift wrapped human pile of turd 
right there on the trail. It's a serious problem and it needs to stop. So do your part and head over to www.thefirewild and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you don't know what that is, well, it is quite similar to the Backbone series in regards of telling the story of wildland fire. There is a collection of over 200 of these stories and they are spanning across the globe now, which is pretty freaking awesome. These stories date all the way back to the 1940s, at least some of them do, but it's pretty cool. So if you want to uh, take a little trip down memory memory lane or get a little history lesson from your uh, peers in the field, by all means, go over to www.wildfire.com experience.org and check out all they have to offer. And speaking of other people that uh, are giving back to the community, Bethany over there at the Smoky Generation, she is giving back to the community in a huge way as well. So if you happen to be one of those individuals that are telling the story of wildland fire, well, now's your opportunity to uh, apply for another grant. Yeah. Uh, Smoky Generation does $500 grants uh, available to those people that are telling the story of wildland fire. And that doesn't matter if you're a cinematographer, a photographer, a blogger, a writer, whatever, whoever you do, whatever you're doing to tell the story of wildland fire. Well, you have an opportunity to win one of these grants. So for more information, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Bethany, you have a hell of an organization over there. Keep it up and we'll see you on the show hopefully here pretty soon. So go over there and check it out. and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. So I hope everybody is doing well. And I hope everybody is gearing up for the holidays, particularly Thanksgiving is right around the corner. It's this, uh, this week, in fact. But uh, I know that it is oftentimes filled with a lot of family, a lot of friends. Hell, I even do a uh, traditional Friendsgiving where I invite my fire friends and my close friends over to uh, do a little Thanksgiving feast. And it's fun. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to do something like that for your homies, by all means, do it. It's fun. But as far as the uh, reconnecting with family thing, I know it's kind of a stressful time. And that's also sprinkled in with the uh, insane consumerism uh, lumped around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But that's besides the point. It's an opportunity to reconnect with the family. And I hope that uh, you folks do that and do it well. I know it's really difficult to explain for the upteenth time what it is you do for a living, but uh, it's even more difficult to explain the toll it takes on a mental health. So today, what I'm going to share with you is a movie. I'm going to share an opportunity to uh, give the gift of entertainment to your friends and family to explain what it's like for 
the mental health component of our careers. There's a recent movie that came out called Two Yellow Lines, and I give it, I swear to God, I give it a five out of five rating. Um, it does an excellent job of telling the story of fire, of what firefighting is, uh, the camaraderie, uh, and also the mental health component that uh, goes along with that. It's a story about a smoke jumper who uh, was in a tragedy fire and lost his crew. And uh, yeah, it just kind of spiraled downwards from there. From there. And uh, it's great. It's honestly a good movie and it makes it even better that they don't show a single freaking scene of firefighting. Yeah, no Hollywood bullshit and it's freaking awesome. So with that being said, Share this movie, share it to your friends, share it to your family, watch it yourself, and then listen to this episode because we're going to break it all down. We're going to sit down today on the show with the main actor, the producer, also the uh, writer of the story of Two Yellow Lines. It's a great thing, and uh, we're going to go over the components of what he saw in the film, his experience shooting it, and we're also going to talk about his uh, mental health journey and how he poured that into the making of this film. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mr. Zach Titus. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point podcast. Today on the show, I've got Mr. Zach Titus, also known as Jack from... (laughs) Two yellow lines. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Hey, man. How you doing? Good, dude. I'm doing good, man. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. And I appreciate the uh, work you've done on the movie. It's actually one of those movies that... It, all right. So let me preface this with every fire movie is based around either tragedy or just like Hollywood drama crap. And yeah. you have like somehow parted the seas and told the story of wildland fire without showing a single freaking scene of people fighting fire. <laughs> it's incredible, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. So yeah, yeah, man, introduce yourself, man. Tell us all about you. Yeah. Um, and I'm a father of four daughters, uh, been married to my high school sweetheart for 21 years. Uh, grew up in Ohio. Uh, my wife and I lived together. I'm- for five years, went to Carroll College there, played college football there, won a couple of national championships with them. And, uh, uh, and then we managed a bed and breakfast for five years uh, outside of Helena. And, and then we, you know, we decided to make a change and pursue what we wanted to pursue. And, and then that led us to LA and 13, 14 years later, here we are. Nice, man. Yeah. So any fire experience by any chance? Um, so when, when we were managing the lodge in Montana, we had 440 acres. It was an old home property that we got back in 90, 1998. And so I had a contract with the government to thin out our property. So I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to pay me to thin out my forest and I get to keep the wood. And I get to build slash piles and burn. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is great. That sounds kick-ass. So, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've had just an absolute ton of experience with chainsaws and building slash piles and, and running a one-man crew to contain, you know, four or five fires at once. And, um, 
and one I had get under the duff a little bit and get out of control and, you know, was super embarrassed when, when <laughs> the cavalry arrived. Um, but it was a good lesson in just how much care you have to take in these fires. Cause you know, it just, it just went lower than I thought and just kind of progressed out. And when I came back around to check on it, I was like, well, that's a lot of smoke. Like, wait, <laughs> wait a second. This good. is not right. This is not what I did. This is not yeah. supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, beyond that, I never, never really went down the road of, um, becoming a fireman. The, the current place that we live now, we actually have in our HOA, we have a, a fire truck and a crew. And so at some point I'll get certified as a wildland firefighter and join this crew, but I just haven't had the time. Um, but certainly it'll happen because, you know, you kind of have this pull <laughs> and I, I know that that's where I'm headed. So as a, as a volunteer for our community, for sure. Right on, man. Yeah. Once you catch that uh, fire bug, it kind of latches onto you and takes hold of you. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man. Um, so what inspired you to create two yellow lines? Now, this movie is based around the story of a smoke jumper who's dealing with some mental health issues and he has to go and pick up his daughter from the, from a camp and then drive her to the airport. So yeah. what inspired this whole thing, man? Cause it was, it was, it's, I watched the trailers and I was like, all right, this is, this looks kind of good. You know, I was a little bit uh, nervous about the Hollywood special effects thing of like trees exploding and all that stuff, <laughs> the typical Hollywood stuff. So I was a little bit apprehensive, yeah. not going to lie, but it yeah. totally blew my mind because that was not anything remotely close to what it what actually was. Yeah. So this is a working class movie and myself and three of my best friends made this film and we're all very much blue collar working class. And, you know, we had been working on other projects for years and I knew that we were kind of moving in this direction where eventually we're going to do a film. And so I'd been writing scripts. A couple of the other guys have been writing scripts. Nothing really took. We didn't have the right thing. So the summer before we started shooting, my oldest daughter wanted to do a motorcycle trip with my father-in-law. He was riding his motorcycle from Montana to Ohio. She jumped on a, a flight, met in Nebraska. Well, there was a rainstorm. He was delayed by like 90 minutes. And she sat by herself in this airport and waited, gets on the bike with them. And 50 miles down the road, she's asking how much further. And, you know, they ended up having a, a beautiful time together, a couple of days on the bike. Um, had some great conversations. It's very intimate on a motorcycle. And, and I thought, well, that was that's pretty amazing. I'd like to do that with each one of my daughters at some point. I love riding. And I'm like, well, that, that'd be a really fun, uh, film. Like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some great books about, um, father and, and son riding motorcycles across, um, the Midwest or, you know, there's some buddy stories on motorcycles, but what about a father, daughter and, and, what would be so compelling? And for me, I've, I've also been searching at that time. I've been searching for a character that I could dig into that kind of tackled some of the issues I was personally going through 
I lost a sister on 9-11. She was a flight attendant on flight 175. And I had some, some issues after that. Um, just a ton of anger. And I was lucky enough to have just moved to Montana happen. And so all of a sudden I had the support of the college and the football team and, and some really great folks in Montana, but I also had the, the mountains in Montana. So I had like this healing that happened uh, by getting out into the mountains and I wanted to find a role I could dig myself, my teeth into that would be cathartic. And I knew that some honesty to this role. So I, I took that journey that my daughter took with my father-in-law and I, and I took this character and, and I presented like one sheet and I pitched it to these three guys, my buddies, uh, Jake Olson, Derek Bauer and Billy Zeb Smith. And I was like, what do you guys think? You guys think this would be a good movie. It's contained. We could shoot it almost chronologically. Um, and at that point it was just like a basic outline. So Derek and I developed the story and, uh, and then Zeb came in and helped craft the writing and all the while the time is ticking because we start writing this thing and we're like, uh, we're, we're going to shoot in June. That's when it's going to be beautiful in Montana. That's when we have to start shooting. And so we pushed to write the script. We pushed to get pre-production ready and, um, and off we went, you know, Derek, who, uh, is the cinematographer and the director as well as writing on this. He has the whole camera package, right? Like we built the camera rig on top of my wife and I's Explorer. And we, you know, we bought this old Harley from Wisconsin, this 98 Dino Wide Glide, put it in the back of a trailer behind my father-in-law's dually, had an old RV and another trailer full of uh, electric gear and, and, uh, and crew gear. And we had a crew of 13, which is super minimal. And we just pushed for, you know, 18 days. We were in the trenches, um, shooting in these amazing locations of Montana and had some wonderful people in and around Helena and, uh, Montana and Wyoming that helped us out with, you know, cafes and places to shoot and, um, yeah, it, it was amazing. We we certainly felt like the filming gods were kind of shining down on us through this process. But, nice, man. And yeah, that's it's a cool uh it's a cool thing. And you said how many days? 18 days you you finished? Initially shot 18 days uh -huh. and then we we kind of put that in, into an edit and then we looked at some of the scenes that like new scenes we went back and shot nine more days um after that so um but uh, you know mclean's book young men and fire yeah uh you know having lived in helena and, and knowing about the man coach fire uh that was that was a also a, a really good jump off point for me to kind of dive into this story um so that, that informed me a lot, um, that reading and his description and his, his breaking down of kind of how the fire happened. And, um, that is kind of how I built this backstory, if you will, for Jack, um, to like 
push me into, we don't want to show that, but we have to know that's what happened. And so, all right, now let's move forward from there. Like take a situation much like that. And what does it look like for somebody who does outrun that fire, who does make it when all their crew does not. And to me, that's like closer to where I was with 9-11 and, you know, having my sister perish and me not um, was kind of this almost survivor's guilt, even though I wasn't on the plane or anything, I wish I had been, you know, I was like, could I have done something different? And all these crazy thoughts go through your head for a long time, months and years. And, you know, you think you can somehow protect your sister, but you know, you just can't. So. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is um, I, I love how the film, it expands on these topics, particularly among uh, or upon mental health. The mental health component on this film is just like so accurate. It's like dead ass accurate. And I cannot believe how well of a job you did portraying that. Like we explore topics like survivor's guilt. We explore topics like um, PTSD. We do flashbacks, the anxiety, all the little like telltale signs of mental illness or PTSI, right? Uh, Post-traumatic stress injuries. And you do that very well. And I think that's a very important topic to portray to a digestible form like a film because it's very, very hard to either put on paper or verbalize. But when you have a visual element behind it, it tells a very powerful message. Yeah. You know, that was really important for us to get that right. And, you know, a a lot of Derek's cinematography also helped kind of tell that story. You know, the scene in the airport, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the sound design and the anticipation of the sound design and, and just everything that is taking him away from you know, dropping his daughter off, he has this pressure of, you know, he's about to leave his daughter again. And then he has all these things come flooding back in, you know, from being near airplanes and, and people and the stress of people around him. And it's, it's not something he's used to. And it, it's over, it can be overwhelming and that could easily be overdone with filmmaking. You get an actor who wants to, wants to show you that he's in stress instead of just, you know, being caught off guard and losing your breath and trying to be composed. Yeah. He's having a full on panic attack in the airport. Yeah. Especially when he saw the insignia on the guy's duffel bag. Yeah. The logo, the crew logo. Yeah. That's it. Like that's the, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back right there. And, and you stack up, the relationship and you stack up taking her to the airport and then you stack up, you know, this smoke jumper right in front of him heading off. And all of a sudden, you know, everything comes flooding back in. And, um, that was, that was a, that was a tough scene. You know, it was, uh, that, that was kind of the moment where we, we knew we had to get that right or, or we kind of failed as filmmakers and, so we put a lot of, a lot of time and research into figuring out exactly what kind of anxiety he was having at the time and, and how bad was it um, and how to show that the best way. So 
a lot of conversation. Yeah. And it was well done because it was an interesting way you shot that scene too, because you have like the external, like third person, like this, the standard, the bystander view of this whole scenario going down. Right. And it's just normal, busy airport. Right. And then you have the internal, like, I guess, first person, almost, I guess, second person. I don't know what you'd call that. You're, you're the director or the uh, producer. So I don't know what the film speak is of what that's called, but it's more or less, uh, the scene is split between this external view and then his internal view where he's just breaking down, right? He's having a full on panic attack. He's the anxieties through the roof. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good trade off to see what a panic attack and that anxiety looks like from outside as a bystander and also nailing what it's like to have an anxiety attack from like the point of view of the actor or yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the brilliance of Derek. You know, as an actor, I knew I was going to be taken care of in coverage and, and I knew the scene was going to look great because he's, he's so brilliant with the camera and telling that story. And, you know, once you realize that you're covered, you just, you know, try not to have this panic attack and let's see where we go. And then it builds and it builds and it builds until you can't control it anymore. And you just have to, you know, change it somehow. Um, and he does, you know, he changes it. He does his thing. Yeah. Escapes uh, the situation. Yeah. He did what he was trying to do. Right. There's danger. You leave this sense of danger, right? That's a firefighter yeah. thing. hundred percent. Yeah. But a uh, curious question for you, and it's a, it was a personal question, but uh, the way you portrayed that scene uh, specifically, uh, I mean, do you mind if I, I'm just going to ask it right here and I don't want to offend you or anything like that, but have you experienced an anxiety or a panic attack like that? Yeah. So anxiety attacks surround me. My mom had panic attacks and my cousin had panic attacks and I hadn't had a full blown panic attack. I had had um, anxiety build to the point where you get that like tension mm -hmm. right here and you're not quite sure what's going on, but it's catching your breath a little bit. And it never got to the point before filming this, it never got to the point where I was concerned. And then leading up to filming this, um, I woke up, full blown sweats one, one night, just freaking out. And I was like, Oh, that was, that was, that was strange. Like, you know, and I, I had been dreaming about this fire. And so it became a recurring dream leading up to filming and the fire was getting closer and closer. And I would like to get out away from it through this rock band. And I was like, this is, this is kind of a trip because in my mind, this is exactly how it happened for Jack. And then right before we filmed, I had it, uh, I woke up from a dream and I was just like super panicked in my breath. And I had just barely made it out again. And I like, like felt myself closing up and I'm like, Oh, there it is. Like, that's it. It's that simple. And the funny thing is I, I, I never really had a full blown panic attack. So <laughs> we started shooting this movie and then I started getting anxiety quite a bit. And I think ultimately looking back, it was just 
me lending myself to back a little more and, and knowing that for this moment in time, my reality was changing a little bit. So that was getting in my head a little bit. Um, and then it was good. For, and then, uh, now though, every once in a while, I, I have a little bit of that anxiety to the point where it's almost panicky. And actually I did the hike one day. I had a, a pretty good little, pretty good little bout. Um, that was a little concerning to me, but I had a lot going on. So, uh, yeah, it's not fun. That tension, you know, the where 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 your mind goes and and where your body starts to close up and and shut down. It's um, it feels a bit out of control. It's not too great. You? Oh yeah, I've had them before. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the thing though. It's like the uh, the reason why I asked that is because the way you portrayed that scene, something just told me that the actor like himself, like Zach, right? Not Jack, but Zach, <laughs> that you actually have had experience with a panic attack. So you know how to portray that. You know what it's like. Yeah. It was real. It was visceral. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think oftentimes, I think the mistake in that scene would have been um, trying to trying to put my body into a situation where I was showing a panic attack, like trying to create a certain breathing rhythm. Um, but I think the reality is when you are having a panic attack, you're trying not to have a panic attack constantly. Trying right? pretty damn hard. That's for sure. Trying to, trying to calm it down you're trying to calm the mind and you're trying to calm the body. And so I had given Jack these breathing techniques. Um, and that's what I kept going back to is like, just know what you know, like recentering yourself, breathe, release, and they really work. And when I recently, when I was having an issue last week, it was, it was the same breathing technique that, that really just kind of calmed my mind, which calmed my body right away. Um, so that that's it. I mean, so I leaned on pretty heavily during that scene was, you know, just trying to breathe through it until it became too much. And yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, there's the, there's a lot of subtleties that you absolutely nailed throughout the entire movie. Like it's all of the little things, right? All the telltale signs, all the little things. And one of them that is a constant, uh, a theme, I guess, of the, of the film is, uh, the box breathing, right. Or combat breathing or this meditative breathing, right. Where you do, in out you know you do your four counts or whatever works for you but that's a common like reoccurring scene is just the breathing parts and yeah that's a total like coping mechanism that people use all the time and it's valuable man it, it, it works like you said yourself even from your personal experience that these breathing techniques they do absolutely help yeah it's really it was really important for me um to, to show that because it does work. And a lot of, I, I, I wish more people would get more in tune with their breath or in tune with how it can calm them down. And I think a lot of people do, but it was important for me to, to really build a foundation for Jack in the beginning, especially like after his wife calls, you know, he has this, 
he's kind of caught and he's like recollecting himself so he can go about his day and his work. And it was really important for me to show that like, he is in a place where he's in control because later on he's not going to be in control. And so we have to show something else, but we have to always show him trying to get back in control. Um, so, you know, I was fortunate to have parents who, um, who are, are very physical. My dad was a marathon runner and my mom was avid fitness trainer and, you know, used to train, um, clients that build like these workout facilities at factories and like train all the clients and, and whatnot. And they were kind of hippies back in the day. And, uh, they would meditate and, and they would teach me about mindfulness and, and, and I, I'm all about that stuff. I'm all about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And so for me, it's like, you know, breathing is, it, it is the regulator of the body. And the only way I can ever control my mind is if I just focus back in on the breath and, and be mindful of just the breathing. And then all this chatter, all this other shit can just, kind of blow in the wind. Yeah. It becomes insignificant after, you know, you, you do this enough and you're adapt. I guess you're, I guess you're uh, competent enough to recognize this and then also competent enough to use those breathing techniques to recenter yourself. Like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as an actor, I, I have to use those same breathing techniques before I go into a room for an audition or a callback or whatever. Cause the anxiety builds pretty, pretty heavy in those moments. And it's the same tech sitting outside and it's like, <sighs> just recenter, recollect, do my counting, do my counting and move on. So nice, man. Yeah. Well, you, you nailed that part too. And speaking of other subtleties and, uh, the little things, the little, little things that stood out to me in the film, it's, it's like the visual component and the connection components, right? So there was one particular scene uh, that stood out to me and every firefighter has this, right? They have their box of shit. They have their box of greens and yellows and fire equipment and packs and it all smells the same, like used fire equipment, like weathered fire equipment. It doesn't matter if it's clean or dirty. It all smells the same, right? It's kind of like an MRE. <laughs> they all smell the same. But, uh, yeah, that, that there's one scene when he's taking the blanket off the bike, the cover off the bike, right. And getting everything started up and ready to roll for his journey. Right. And he looks into his fire, his, his box of shit, his stereotypical firefighter box of shit. And he yeah. cracks it open and he's digging through it. And he, you notice he breathes again. So he, you can smell that. And there was like a connection to me. Like when I opened my box of firefighter stuff, like all my old gear, like there's a specific smell that just like brings me right back to firefighting. Right. Yeah. You could tell it was like, I don't know how, if you did that on purpose or if you did it like accidentally, or if I'm just putting a connection that has no relevance whatsoever, but I swear to God, dude, when he opened that box, I was thinking about me opening my fire equipment box and just that smell of like fire equipment. Yeah. This is like my old job. Yeah. You know, the, I don't, I don't think that I was cognizant of the smell right then. I think that breath was 
more of like, I'm about to dig into a past that I'm not comfortable with. And so I was like trying to calm myself down. Um, but that, that fire shirt, um, the yellow. You know, that, that had such a fantastic smell to it. it and, like concentrated BO and dirt. Oh, all of it <laughs> just mixed all together. So it, like, you know, there's just stuff in the fibers of that shirt that are never coming out. And, um, man, I, I used to like, just like sit there and hold that shirt and like run it through my hands. Um, yeah. That, even though it, you know, it wasn't my shirt for very long. It was, it was my shirt, uh, deeply my shirt for, for those scenes. So all that history, all the research you do and all the reading and all the backstory you build in, you, you gotta be able to put that into something physical. And for me, that was that, that box of shit was my entire past that I was trying to keep in the garage, right? Like keep it, pushed down and unveiling that little bit was like cracking open the safe a little bit. Um, Oh yeah. It's like, I love that. I love that scene. That's a good one. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple, but uh, just everything about it, the way he shot it, I can just, I can just see every thought going through my head about what I'm, picking up and feeling and smelling. And, uh, it was all, it was all, I love that scene a lot. It's good, man. It's, it's really good. And it's like, it, it just reminded me of like what I experienced when I opened up that box, right? Like the smells, the memories, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, it doesn't matter. It all comes back to you like that, man. It's, it's, it's insane. And I know every firefighter out there that has this box of shit, <laughs> they, they're going to relate to that scene particularly well. And I really hope that people that are listening to this podcast go and watch this thing, man. This, this film is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. There's other little subtleties in there too. Um, speaking back to the mental health component of it is the, uh, the burying like he Jack's character, he buried everything. And that is an all too common thread among our fire community. Right. That's, 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 that's real shit. We don't talk about like the problems. We don't talk about what we experience. We don't talk about to our friends. We don't talk about it to our family. We just bottle all that shit up inside until it becomes explosive and a problem. And it's obviously a very large problem for Jack's character. Yeah. Yeah. So much so that, you know, he left his wife and his daughter, you know, he thought he was, that it would be better for them if he wasn't in their life, you know? And, and that's, uh, you know, he, he needed to find quiet. He needed to find kind of who he was again. He didn't know who he was after this. And so, you know, it was, it was part of the development of this story is like, you know, we're all fathers, all four of us were fathers of daughters. And it's like, what has to happen to you to leave your family? And it's like, Whoa, your, your life has to be changed in such a way that you one are fearful of losing anyone else you love. So you abandon them. So you don't lose them, which is kind of, kind of ironic, ironic, but two, you, you're so lost in who you are that you can't, you can't find your way back there until you kind of reset somehow. And so by leaving them, you, 
is, is searching for, you know, who he once was to try to get back to that. Well, that's an and, important concept to explore too, right there in itself. I mean, I have a very firm belief that once you get into the firefighting game and you've done it for a long time, it becomes, it, it, it's a common trap of life to where fire becomes your only identity. That's who you are as a person. I am nothing else except for a firefighter. It's all too common. And that's what we see with Jack is he's struggling to regain that identity as a firefighter, but he's just too, I guess, not damaged by it. Well, he's damaged. He's very damaged. He's, he's, he's injured. He's got a PTSI like motherfucker, but he's also trying to reconnect with that fire life and he abandons everybody around him just to seek it and get it back. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's this new crew he's with when he's, you know, fell in these standing dead woods, these pine beetle infested trees. Like that was important for us as well, you know, cause normally a guy like Jack or a guy like you or a guy like me, you get into a setting where you're with a crew of five or six and you're out felling trees. Like that's, that's a good time. Oh yeah. Like I'll do that job. No problem. But for him, it's still, he's trying to stay, separate from these guys, you know, there's a danger there and the danger is not the saw and the danger is not the tree. The danger is I might get too close to one of these guys and become friends with them. And then something could happen. And and then I'm going to have to lose another friend. And so there's this shield that he puts up and he puts it up with his daughter. You can see it when the daughter first comes back into his life. He's like, I'm not going to show you that I love you or care for you because you need to go on. You need to go back to your mom. Yeah. He thinks that he is the hazard guys, in that yeah. situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, we show it with, with those guys as well. They're trying to bring him in to the crew and he's, he's just <laughs> focused on his thing. He needs a job. He's, you know, not trying to, not trying to be buddies so much. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. It's, 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 losing yourself in an identity and then having a tragedy to where you become, or you think that you become the hazard. That's, that's not good, man. It's health. It's not healthy at all. And it happens in real life, in real fire, like all the time. It does, man. Oof. Yeah. I can't tell you how happy I am to have, to be chatting with you and to have, having, had you watch this film and, and, uh, and relate to it. Um, I think that's our number one mission as filmmakers is to, you know, when you have someone who's actually seen the world and gone through this world in some way, and, and they find moments in your film that are honest and true. It's like, that's, that's all we can hope for is as filmmakers and artists is to have a, an authenticity and a relatability come through the film. Um, that's honest. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just so stoked that, uh, that you watched and, uh, that we're talking about. It, so, yo man, it's a great film. It, it honestly is. And there's so many real like concepts in there that I can relate to. And then a lot of other people out there, in the fire community can relate to as well because we've seen it time and time again. I mean, shit, this is the reason why the wildland firefighter exists. The wildland firefighter foundation exists. 
That's why Anchor Point exists. That's why grassroots wildland firefighters that's why they yeah. exist this is why these all these organizations exist is to fix things like this like this this film represents yeah. it's a hard job it's even harder on your mental health if you spend enough time i mean there this is going to be i mean this is a previous guest of mine he said that um it's not surprising of when someone commits suicide it's always a surprise of who it is. So wrap your head around that for a quick second and really think about the gravity of that statement, right? That is expanded times 25,000 people out there during the summer and they do it year after year after year. These are like combat deployments without getting shot at. And they do it year after year after year. Eventually that's going to take a toll on your mental health and it needs to change. That's why these organizations exist, right? Yeah. To spread that word and to change yeah. these inherent problems that are plaguing our system. And when something comes out of left field, because I had no idea that your movie, uh, your film was coming out until you hit me up, right? Totally no idea, right? It's important that things like this happen. It's important that films like this exist because they tell a story to a general audience. And I want to let everybody, if any public out there that's listening to this, that's not a firefighter that's listening, your movie, your film, dude, hit the nail on the head. Cause this is the elephant in the room that needs to be talked about and you do it in a digestible form. Yeah. That conversation has, you know, I, I don't know how we can get each individual person to start talking, right? Some, some people are, are so ingrained with just keep bull bulldozing forward. Just keep, keep going forward. You know, I'll work trained, through it. Man. That's how we're you trained. Know, by myself. I'll figure it out. I'll soldier on. I'll do my thing. It, it's like this tough guy or tough gal thing that, that we put on like, or we don't want to bother anyone else with our issues or you don't want to be perceived as weak relate. either. Yeah. They won't stand um, because they haven't gone through it, or at least you think they won't. But oftentimes it's all it takes is, is just them lending an ear and letting you know that they're there anytime you need to talk. And man, you can blabber on for hours, but it's so cathartic to do that, just to talk through whatever you're going through. It doesn't have to make sense to you, but just to get that out there and not bottle it up, it becomes so cancerous when we bottle, bottle it up. We have released that. And, you know, in this film, it, it's through his daughter and it's through her poking and prodding at why he left and what the problem is. And is it her? And, and to the point where he, you know, he finally takes, takes the cover off and, and, and shares and he's honest with himself and with her. And now they have a start of a relationship and actually build a relationship, right? And for me, it was, you know, my parents were always very available to conversate, like after my sister passed. And, and, you know, when I was having really hard times, like, I didn't really know how to talk to my wife about it. I didn't, 
talk to any of my friends about it. Um, but it would be like people. There was a woman who owns a shop in Helena and lost her brother on nine or her husband on nine 11. And we would, I would go into her shop and get breakfast and she would sit down and we'd like talk about the past and talk how we're feeling and our frustrations with, you know, whatever is happening with government or not happening with government. And, and that became really healing for me. And that's not a person I ever expected to talk to about that, but, but she needed to talk through it as much as I did. And, um, and my dog, <laughs> it's the craziest shit. My dog and I would go way up into the mountains and we'd go up there and I'd smoke a joint and think about my sister and start to cry. And like, I found this dog on my way to my sister's memorial on the side of the road, a stray. And that's the dog I had. So I was like, my sister gave me this dog to like <laughs> help me through it. So I would talk to this dog in a way that was like a gift from my sister. And dude, that was also extremely beneficial for mental health. Um, to be able to talk through that and laugh at myself for talking <laughs> to my dog about it and, and to be like, you know, crying. Cause then there's nobody around. It's just me in the mountains and this dog and I can cry and I can, you know, no judgment there. And, um, so, you know, whether it's a dog or, you know, this woman who has gone through a similar experience or a football coach or whomever, you know, just, just talk or ask, ask to talk. Like, hey, can I talk to you? Can I buy you a beer? Can I, you know, just, just start the conversation. And if you know, somebody is, has gone through tragedy, offer to buy them a beer, offer to listen, you know, like you're not going to say the right thing to them, but they just need to, they just need to talk through it, find a way to start the conversation. And that my friend is peer support at its finest, man. 100%, yeah. dude. Sometimes that's just all you need. Yeah. You just need to get that shit off your chest, man. And that's another thing, yeah. too, about the uh, film. I mean, you've drawn a lot of your personal experiences and channeled it into Jack, which I relate to very deeply. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people in the fire community are going to relate to very deeply. But the broader thing is, is that this can apply to everybody, right? Doesn't matter if you're a firefighter or some slick shit sniper operator dude or the best medic or Joe Blow sitting behind a computer for eight hours. You know, it doesn't matter. The common thread here is you need to talk about this shit. Don't bottle it up. It doesn't make you weak for talking about it or putting your emotions into words or story or whatever you got to do to get it off your chest. It doesn't make you weak. In fact, what makes you weak is not doing that. Yeah. There's a lot of strength in being vulnerable. And sometimes yeah. you've got to confide in people to show that strength. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a completely different relationship on a much deeper, meaningful level. If you're to take that leap. Yeah. And especially the relationship with yourself, you know, the, I remember being in my twenties and having all these conflicted thoughts and kind of personal, like doubting myself because I felt like I was too fragile. And, um, you know, I, I, I got, I got kind of sick of hearing this, this personal conflict in my head and that, that conversation, those, those sessions where I would talk through this stuff that, that allowed me to like get rid of all the shit 
and yeah. just kind of start fresh. Just treat that so, cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, even it's, it's even reflected in Jack's character at the end of the movie. Right. I mean, after all of this stuff, it finally, you could tell that Jack's character has never spoken about it to a lot of people. Very few, if any of mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. until his own daughter, he opens up to gives the full yeah. rundown. Yeah. He had, you know, he, he hadn't talked about it and just, words out loud and hearing yourself say words out loud oftentimes are, you know, it's the greatest thing you can do for yourself. And, but then to let your daughter understand the why of why you left, you know, it's, it's not about her. It's not about him not loving her. It's about him needing a change because, you know, he was, he's devastated. And now she can look at him with, with, uh, with this knowledge and understand that he's, he's a broken man and, and she can help mend him in this beautiful way. Um, just by being there and, you know, listening to him and hugging him. I mean, that hug at the end is just every good man. It's good. Yeah. Oh, it was crushing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty damn good. And another furthermore part of that is too is like that whole breath thing, right? That recurring theme about the breath. You could tell like that that breath, that breathing when he was hugging his daughter. You could just tell there was like this infinite weight lifted off of his chest. Right there. Yeah. Dumb. That moment. Yep. Yeah. That's the beginning. Like that's a of a new relationship for them that's that's the potential of what happens after this movie it's like now we can have a relationship and that's the beauty of it but it's an incredible story man and i definitely definitely love the shit out of your movie i'm gonna share it to all my buddies like yeah fuck i even bought it i didn't rent it (laughs) i fucking bought it dude i was all like yep send it buying that bitch (laughs) (laughs) it's good it's good man but Aside from two yellow lines, you're tying that into uh, doing some additional, I guess, extracurricular activities. You did a big ass hike, the trail to remember and to uh, raise money for the wildland firefighter foundation. Let's talk about that, man. Yeah. So, uh, I, I felt like if, if I was going to, play a former smoke jumper. You know, I, I put a lot of time into understanding the world before we filmed and during filming, but afterward it's like, okay, if, if, if I'm going to put this movie out where I play this former smoke jumper, I need to back in some way. And I wasn't sure how to do that. And so wildland firefighter foundation had come kind of in and out of my world and we were on a call with Yellowstone, the, the PR gal at Yellowstone. And we were trying to figure out if we could do something with them for the release of it. And, and she's like, well, have you reached out to Wildland Firefighter Foundation? And I was like, I have not. I was like, I've been meaning to, I just haven't done this. And this was like six months ago. Mm-hmm. The next day, going to my daughter's school or soccer practice or something. And right in front of me is this chorus truck with wildland firefighter logo 
right in front of me at a stoplight. And I'm like, right then and there, I pull over, I pull him up and I'm just pull him up on my phone. And I'm like, okay, that's who we're going to give back to. I didn't know how yet. During the pandemic, I was, uh, I was doing a lot of like, um, longer explorations out into the mountains. I'd go and like bivy out in the mountains for a night. So I'd do like 13 miles in the evening and bivy overnight and then come back super early, be back by 8 AM. And I was like, Oh, this is fun. You know, I'm a, I'm a mountain adventurer. I've done Mount Whitney like 13 times and I, you know, climb Mont Blanc and I love this shit. Uh, I love the mountains. And during COVID, I thought during the lockdown, I'm like, well, I want to do the backbone trail. And I knew that it was a serious undertaking. So I thought, well, I'll probably do it in two days. That would be fun. You know, 33 or four miles a day. That'll be pretty good back to back. And then I was, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I could do that for a fundraiser. I could, you know, get some people interested. Then I start training for elk season this year for archery. And I was putting in a lot of miles and I was feeling pretty good. My legs were, you know, I'd never moved through the mountains quite like I was in September this year. And I fly out to Montana and I'm sitting in the DMV and I'm getting my new ID and I'm on the phone with my buddy Zeb who produced this. And I'm like, Zeb, what if I do the back trail for the fundraiser? He's like, that's a great idea. I'm like, what if I'm one day? And he's like, uh, are you high? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can. That's, it scares me a little bit, you know, 67 miles, but not just the 67 miles, it's 14,000 feet of gain and loss in that 67 miles. And I was like, I don't know, man, I think I can do this. And, uh, and right then and there on the phone call, it's like, all right, it's done. That's what's happening. You made a decision. So, yeah. So, uh, I reach out, um, to Burke and I'm like, Hey, who do I talk to about doing a fundraiser for you guys? And, uh, and he's like, Dean is like, well, let me put you in contact with them. And next thing you know, I'm on the phone with them. And I'm like, Hey man, I want to, yeah, he's awesome. He's rad. And he was stoked on it. I was actually hanging out with him last weekend. He was down here for a fundraiser. Oh, I mean, you know, couldn't have a a better person running that kind of foundation. And I was really stoked when, uh, when I heard how excited he was about, you know, it's like, I don't know how much money I raised. I don't, it wasn't really the point. The point was I knew I had a certain audience that was going to be looking at and maybe towards what I was doing at the time. And if I could redirect that towards the foundation and giving uh, some of that money, some of the audience that was looking this way to give some money towards this, then I felt like I was honoring the men and women um, you know, who weren't so lucky that didn't make it back home. And, uh, and so I, I knew I had to do this. And so I was lucky with, with, uh, elk season. Uh, I got my bowl quick and nice work, then I man. started training 
hard and um, started putting in some serious miles. I had six go from elk season into being in the best shape of my mountain life. And uh, so there it was last Tuesday. Um, I woke up at 2 a.m. I camped right next to the right close to the trailhead. Um, I was on the trail at 2 a.m. Um, and for the next 21 hours, I was just grinding as hard as I could. Um, <laughs> that's no small feat, dude. That's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> and it was the three year anniversary of the Woolsey fire. And, um, and so there, it was a heavy day, um, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and my parents met me at 32 miles and they did 2.4 miles with me which was amazing. And then my wife did 9.3 miles with me at like the lowest I was. Cause I was having these stomach issues and the legs weren't firing well. And you know, if, if you've done any extensive, um, endurance like that, you know, stomach issues and food intake can be the end game or the end of it for you. And, so I wasn't sure mentally where I was at, like, is this it for me? And so I didn't even eat the last nine hours. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And so I was expecting to bonk, uh, at any time. That or and, worse, get rhabdo out in the middle of nowhere. Oh dude, it was, it was, it was probably close to happening, but instead I went into this automated mode where I just found a rhythm and my breath and my body were in sync and just started clicking off miles and, and then it got dark. And then once you have that headlamp tunnel there, the outside world goes away, right? It's just foot, foot strike and power and yep. that's it. And so it worked and there I am finishing it up at like 11 PM, uh, 18 hours and 41 minutes of actual move time total, of, uh, just over 20 hours, uh, for 67 miles. So boy, was I thankful to see the end of that trail. Um, I bet that victory beer never tasted so damn good in your life, man. Yeah, it was good. And it was a Stella. (laughs) So it's not a beer I would normally drink, but I was like, all right, it's cold. I'll drink that. And (laughs) it's got more water. I need water right now. It's got more water than alcohol in it. It's this is good. Yeah. So it was a perfect combination. (laughs) Uh, But you know, at the end, my pops, my dad, uh, Derek and Jake and my Anna, they all hiked 0.7 miles up the trail to find me. Cause I told him I'd be there about 11. And so here I am like a mile out and I hear this voice and I stop and I hear it again. And I was just like, this weight just like lifted off me. I knew it was them. And I, I could see shadows walking that have headlamps on. And I was just like, Oh my God. And my dad comes up and he, he was a a serious marathoner, like two hours and 53 minutes kind of marathoner. Yes. And he comes up and I was like, just barely holding myself up with these trekking poles. And he like embraces me and doesn't say a word. I don't say a word. And he holds me for like 30 seconds. And it was like really empowering, but also completely understanding. Um, and then, you know, lets me go and kind of looks at me and we 
give each other a nod. Like that was all I had, you know, like I could not have given any more that day and that was it. And so we walked the last bit and my mom's down there and, you know, we stand around and uh, have a beer. And so I start shaking <laughs> uncontrollably, <laughs> you know, cause in the body, the reality of it kind of wears off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, like this and Jake, Jake, my buddy's like, uh, you're shaking, man. I was like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> oh, it was a trip. Uh, went and got two double doubles, fries and a strawberry shake. And that, that started the healing process. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. That's, that's definitely well-deserved. Cool. That's a pretty incredible feat, man. To solo that backbone trail. That's impressive, cool. man. You know, the longest day in the mountains I've ever had before that was 30 miles. So, you know, I was into this new, this new realm that I hadn't been before. And, you know, it took me, it took me back to some, some of the mental questioning and, and kind of the fuckery that your mind can put you through. Uh, it took me right back there for a good hour or two where I was really questioning if I was going to be able to do this, you know, if it made me question my grit, like, am I, am I really going to be able to push through this? And, uh, and it was really empowering, uh, to be able to do that and kind of find out, you know, what, I don't know, what, I, what am I made of? Can I do this? I don't know. So it was, it was a good end of a, end of a four year mission with this film. And this was the perfect way to cap it. No one could ever take that away from you either, man. That's cool. That's something to hang your hat on, dude. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, man. So you went from indie filmmaker to getting picked up by a major, I guess, with that studio. Would you call it a studio? Yeah. Yeah. To releasing this movie to soloing in 24 hours, less than 24 hours, the backbone trail and raising some money for the wildland firefighter foundation, man. This is like, this is like a hero's journey of your own, man. This is fucking cool. You know, I have this tattoo on my arm right here. Yeah. AT Alicia Titans. And it's so she can continue this journey with me. And, um, I've, I've been able to accomplish anything I've set my mind to because I don't know, because she's with me, you know, um, she didn't get a chance to continue her life. And so I feel like I kind of have to live two lives almost in some way. And, um, but I feel like I have a lot of her strength guiding me as well. And that's powerful, whether it's, you know, a placebo that I'm creating, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's extremely powerful to have that kind of, um, that kind of power with you, you know, um, she, she guided me when I was trying to come back and kick 
field goals in college. When we moved to a new college, uh, she guided, she helped me a lot in my training. You know, like I would, I would do these hard training sessions and, um, you know, really be questioning if I could do this and, and come back and like compete against this all American kicker. And, and there she was like, just always there for me in these moments. And, and then I, for a minute, I was like big into, uh, uh, shooting with magazines for like fitness and stuff. And, and I would like be putting my body through all these physical tests constantly. And, and I would always rely on her to, you know, like, and hey, I know you're there with me. Like I need you a little bit right now. And, and again, it, whether it's, whether it's like, I, I don't know what everyone's beliefs are, but to have that, um, kind of belief in the fact that, someone's with you guiding you uh it's, it's very powerful um you know so i've been I'm kind of blessed to have have her spirit kind of help me along the way and and uh wife is amazing she's you know she goes out and trains with me we did couple 20 mile days her and i in the mountains and you know she allows me to go out and do this crazy ass shit i'm like hey baby mind if i take off in the mountains tonight i'm gonna sleep out there and i'll be back in the morning she's like yeah sure go do your thing and uh and she knows i'll be okay um and uh you know she takes care of the kids and lets me do it so and the same with this film you know four years is a huge undertaking long ass time man yeah and you know we just had our youngest daughter Tegan. We had just had her a month before we started filming. So I leave my wife with a newborn. Good luck, baby. We go film. And, and two <laughs> of the other kids. And I take the oldest child with me to go film. Who out? But she's gone now. And I go shoot this movie. And uh, you know, she's she's a trooper. She's tough as hell. That's a tough woman right there, man. Yeah. Oh 100%. man. She's crazy tough. Yeah, my wife would never allow me to do that shit. She's yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, uh, uh-uh, get your ass home. You're taking care of you're changing diapers. <laughs> Trust me, I had to change a lot of diapers before I started asking these things. Uh oh man. Yeah. Speaking of your daughter, yeah, uh that's the one thing we, I don't believe we uh really covered there, but you introduced uh your daughter to her first acting role in this movie. Yeah. Your so daughter, Jack, was, Jack's daughter is your actual daughter. You play Jack. She plays Ellie, right? Uh, no, Ellie. Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Hannah. Yeah. So I knew she was right for this the whole time. And when I first started conceptualizing this story, she's who I had in mind. But I had to convince Derek and Zeb and Jake that she could handle this. You know, it it relies heavily on whoever is opposite me, whoever plays my daughter. So she was in a performance of West side story, um, down in, in Hollywood at a theater down there. So I invited those guys. I was like, why don't you come and watch her? You know, she's, I think she's fantastic. I think you guys are going to love her. So they come to the show and she just kills it because she's just got this thing about her. And all three of them at the end, like look down the line at me and they're just like smiling and shaking their head. Deal, buddy. We got the casting. And, uh, and then we had, we had her work with, um, Deshaun Terry. Deshaun is an actor. Phenomenal. 
and also a really great acting coach. He's on this Apple TV show called The Morning Show with Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston and Deshaun. And uh, so he worked with my daughter a bit on this role before she went up and filmed with us. But then our actual father-daughter relationship worked to our benefit during these scenes because I could kind of play, you know, when it, when it was her coverage, I could play a little bit different dialogue, get at her in different ways and, and kind of tempt the performance out. Make a go out of her shell per se. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, you know, I could talk to her a different way as well. It's like, kiddo, like, look, if you, if you just go all in on this performance for this scene right here, you're done. Like we just, we can shoot it one or two times. If you you just got to go all in. And so she would, she would like walk away for a second, come back, kill the scene, you know, just destroy it. She's like, did we get it? You know, can, can I go now? <laughs> kind of thing. I gotta go. Like, come all on. right, let us check. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, she, she was funny in that way. If she knew that she could expedite the process by just, you know, coming in and just nailing it once instead of like warming up into it, man, she would give you all she had. Just crush it. Oh yeah. Nice. She stole, you know, she won several of those scenes. Like if, you know, if you, if you're tallying up points and if, if anybody else watches this film, you're going to know the scenes cause you're going to be like, Oh yeah. Hannah, five points, Jack won. <laughs> and it's got like scorecards. Yeah, totally scorecard. Um, and I was so proud, you know, in those scenes, I, I just, I could already see how the edit is going to play out. Cause I can, I can feel her performance and I'm like, the whole edit's going to be centered around her during this scene. Cause she's just, she's so present and just destroying it. So. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, man. And this is like all your buddies too. So it's like, it's a very intimate film crew right like you all know each other it's you're all homies you got your own daughter like tagging along with you for this entire movie that's pretty yeah. cool man and yeah, honestly these are my, oh go ahead if, these are my mountain buddies these are my uh backcountry ski and snowboard buddies these are my hunting buddies these are you know these are guys who uh have been grinding out here for a very long time but we also have a deep passion for the mountains and um and they all individually, we're all connected to them in, in these really great ways. And then collectively we come together and we, we share and explore them together. So, um, you know, taking that into our filmmaking, um, we knew that we would be able to put in the work. It was a, a extremely difficult task, but if you got the right team mounted, you can do anything. You no. don't need, 50 guys sometimes you just need four of the right guys so sometimes less is more men but yeah at the end of the day man i honestly couldn't think of a better way to honor your family the wildland firefighter community your daughter and most importantly your sister man bravo dude on this this film it's epic and I'm going to just spread it like a cold in a daycare, man. I'm just going for it, man. It's, it's, an, <laughs> it's an awesome flick. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, man, because it, it is, it is yeah. great, man. Uh, uh, thanks, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so what about you? Like, 
how old were you when you got into fighting fires? Like what drew you to it? I was like at the ass end of my ass end of 20. So just about 21, I got into it. And then uh, actually my uncle, well, he's not really my uncle. He's just like, I call him my uncle because he's my dad's best friend. He's a smoke jumper. He's former AK bro, former Boise bro. And he's like, Hey man, you should try out uh firefighting, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, point you in the right direction. We'll get you, uh, you know, dialed in as far as fitness and everything like that. And of course I got my fucking ass kicked my first season in fire. <laughs> so I got, I, yeah, my ass was a wad of cookie dough. It was, it was bad, but made it through and understood it a little bit better. And then I kind of just stuck with it for 11 years, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right it was fun. Uh, scariest moment. Which one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so obviously, but um, one that you were questioning if you'd get out or were there multiples of those as well? There's been a couple of close calls that I've had. Um, a couple tree incidents. Um, those are definitely pretty scary. In fact, to this day, like if I hear like, you know how like when you're cutting a tree and you hear the hinge wood like creak when it's going yeah. over. If I yeah. hear that, like, you know how like it's a windy day and you hear trees like creaking. That shit like puts a hair up on my necks, man. On my, on my neck because like I just flash back to that day where like, uh, or with one of those days where I was almost hit by a tree, like pretty sketchy stuff. Uh, there's a couple of, there was one incident where we're on the American fire and my crew was, uh, surrounded by fire because somebody else put fire on the ground when they were not supposed to, um, not going to name names or anything like that, but another crew. And, uh, yeah, they were surrounded, uh, defending a, a, uh, uh, like a historic historical site. And that actually scared me more than anything that I've been like intimately like face to face with my own mortality kind of thing, because I was more worried about them. Like how do, how, how do we get them out of there? Right. So I was pretty worried about them. That was a scary moment. And then uh, like the first or second year in fire, man, actually one of the previous guests on uh, my show, we were in a pretty hairy situation where uh, a flame front just, took a 180 degree shift and started running at us. And there were some, uh, some burn injuries. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was really intense. I don't want to get into like the details cause I don't want to like give a lot of identifiers out to what happened yeah. or like to the people that were involved. But yeah, man, it's, uh, there were some inhalation injuries and yeah, it could have gone real fucking bad real quick. Yeah. So but yeah, I've had my, my, my times coming face to face with my own mortality on the line, but also, you know, it's, I guess it's one of those things where it's like part of the gig, like that could happen, you know, not that you want it to, you train everything within your soul to like not have these things happen, but sometimes you just shit happens. You're fighting yeah. mother nature, right? You're taking a shovel and picking a fist fight with mother nature, the most powerful force on the planet to be reckoned with. Right. Yeah. Sometimes things happen, man. Oof. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, you know, the, when I read young men and fire, and I'm sure most everyone listening to this podcast has probably read it. And if not, it's a common read. That's for sure. Oh, it's so, it's so incredibly well done both from a science perspective 
And from boots on the ground perspective, you know, he had such a good intimate view into this world, but he also understands, you know, how to guide you as a reader through what it is that's really happening from, you know, the, the sounds of the sap exploding in the trees to the rocks exploding from heat to what's actually happening your lungs as the fire approaches you and the heat ahead of the fire captures you before the, the fire does. And it's so visceral. And when I was reading these, I was like, just putting them down in this little toolbox to use later in some of these scenes to kind of relive some of that. And, um, man, I can't, I can't imagine, uh, you know, my dreams that I, from doing this project were bad enough. I you know, I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know how, I don't know how you guys do it season after season when you have something happen like that. But, but like you said, when it kind of becomes our, or at least, you know, there's also probably really fantastic elements of it, right? It's extremely hard work and you have this crew and you have your friends and, you know, you bond with these guys and gals in a way that most people never bond with people. I would imagine. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of my veteran friends that are in fire. They, they compare it to a combat experience. A lot of them do. And I, I personally, I'm not a veteran. I've never been downrange. I've never served in the military or anything like that, but I hate making that comparison that saying, Hey, wildland firefighter is like the perfect analog for combat experience. I'm like, no, that's not true. But a lot of people compare them. I, I don't know what it is. If it's that like that battle buddy mentality or like just enduring the suck for so long. And it's, 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 there's nothing to compare it to that I know of besides what my buddies have compared it to within the military, as far as like a combat experience. And like when you're sharing a foxhole with somebody, there's, there's a whole new level of connection. There's a whole new level of brotherhood. There's a whole new level of camaraderie, that battle camaraderie. Right. And I think that's, what's so attractive about this, the, about wildland fire is a lot of people are all suffering on the same level. You're on a hotshot crew, man. You're all eating a turd sandwich. It fucking sucks. However, that suck becomes the best time of your life because 19 of your other friends are doing the exact same fucking thing right there by your side. Yeah. You're all in the same boat, man. There's nothing to compare that to that whole feeling. Yeah. Comes your tribe. Oh, hundred percent, man. And we're very tribal. We're also very defensive and protective of our kin. Yeah. Yeah. Rightfully so. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it's, I think it's important for us society to, to say thank you more to men and women like yourself and, and first responders and police officers. And I I feel like, you know, I, I don't know how often they hear thank you, but I try to make it a point all the time to say thank you because 
you know, you guys are the ones that are running towards the fire. You guys are the ones that are running towards the, the burning building and the collapsing buildings. And, you know, that thanks needs to be given more. And instead we're in this weird divisive time where we're like talking shit about them instead of thanking them. It's, it's weird. It is a weird time that we live in. It's I've never, I mean, I've only been on this short, uh, this, this planet for, you know, a very, very short 35 years, but you know, in my recollection, I can never think of a time that's been more divisive. And I think my own parents have said the same exact thing. I think a lot of people will recognize that too, but as far as, you know, connecting as a community as a whole, I think the wildland firefighting community is going to stick together. Same thing with the, the EMS, the fire, like structure fire side of things, the military side of things. But we all have one thing in common as far as being those first responders in some sort of degree and fashion, right? We yeah. all share that common, that common ground. Now, as far as telling that story to the public, I think we can all improve on that. And I think that a value in your film is exposing the inconvenient truths and the harsh realities, the elephant in the room and the quiet part out loud, telling that in a, in a good fashion. So the honors all mine, man, the thank you is all mine because what you did is truly golden. I love it, man. And it's, it's great, great honor to the fire community. And I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, <laughs> when you, when you actually reach your audience, it's, it's so fulfilling and, you know, cause you have friends that'll watch it and they're like, Oh, it's a really good movie. And it's like, all right, cool. Thanks. You know, like you, you kind of have to say that. So I don't know if you really mean it, but then when you have somebody who's lived through this experience and, and they have no reason to, to fluff you with some bullshit. And then you actually hear that it touched somebody in some way or it in some way as an artist. It's like, that's, that's the absolute number one goal. And, you know, you can walk away from a project and even if you don't make money on it, as long as you connect in a way that you wanted to with your audience, you know, um, then it's a huge win. And so to hear this is it's just this huge win. And, um, but it would also be nice to, you know, make some money on. So, we'll, see. Um, well, I mean, it is a business, man. You, yeah. You got to make money. It's a job. It's, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Hey, have you, uh, do you ever watch any Apple TV? No, actually I, I haven't signed up. Everybody's telling me to like sign up for Apple TV. Um, I guess all, all my buddies at work are talking about this, like one sci-fi show that's on there. I can't remember the name, but I guess it's really good. Like the foundation oh, foundation. Oh, Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. The foundations on there. Um, there's, there's several really good ones, but I'm on a show all mankind mm -hmm. on Apple TV. Um, so I was in season two. I, I'm not going to lie, dude. I creeped your IMDB before I did this. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stalking uh, someone's LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do your research. Right. Uh, so I play a NASA Marine in season two and each season jumps ahead like 12 years. And so this was like 1983 
and there was a need for a marine presence on the moon because they were taking hydrogen to create fuel and to further space exploration, right? So it's like the space race like kind of ramped up and then they had to weaponize space to defend resources. Kind of like the same shit that's going on, you know, on the terrestrial side of things. Yeah, exactly right. So they bring me on for four episodes and I thought that was it. And I get a call, you know, beginning of this year that bring me back for season three. And I'm like, you know, I knew they were jumping ahead 12 more years. And I'm like, 1995, like, what am I going to be like some washed up, you know, Marine telling stories at the VFW from the space wars. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and I can't really say anything about it because it comes out in spring, but my character is so different 12 years later. And in a way that I think a lot of us will relate to, because we have an uncle like this, or we have, uh, a cousin or somebody like this, or we know of somebody who turned out like this. Someone who's seen some Uh, shit, basically. He's seen some shit and he is questioning what he believes, what he's being told, right? Kind of a little anti-government. That's as far as I'll go. But it's awesome. (laughs) I had such a blast. Um, The season two in the NASA full on NASA suits were <laughs> super dope. I had the best time oh, yeah. uh, in this season as well. I had a good time. So season two is out now. Season three comes out probably in March. Okay. So yeah, I might have to sign up for Apple TV, man. Yeah. yeah Check it out. Fun watch. Oh yeah. Dude. Good content there. So what else is next for you down the road? What do you got planned? Anything cool? Anything exciting? <sighs> um, I mean, we're writing. We have a couple other scripts I've written. So we're starting to push those out. Um, but kind of back to the drawing board, you know, uh, a little bit in that weird headspace of what's next. Like, where am I going to go? Like, I don't have a direction right now. So it kind of feels discombobulated. You know, when you have a project and you have a date, and you you constantly have something towards. It's yeah. like it's like signing up for a race, so you stay in, or you know, doing that kind of thing. Yeah, you get right now, I don't have up. I don't have a race. I don't have a thing, and so I got to figure that out pretty quick because my mind works. My mind and body work well if I've got a definite date, definite goal. So I'll work towards it. I'm right now. I'm kind of like feeling out life, you know, I feel like through my life choices and through society and the way I view society, sometimes I pick up on little story ideas and an angle. I want to tell that story. Uh, but what's most important is that I, I take an aspect of humanity or society that I believe needs addressed in films. And, and then that's kind of the way I'll take my next film, I think. So, and then, you know, we've got a, a good crew of guys and, and, uh, since one-on-one studios and universal pictures picked up our last film, you know, it would, it would be reasonable to believe that, you know, we could probably do this again. So we, we probably will. There we go, man. Oh well, yeah, dude. I'm looking forward to it. See what's coming down the line, but coming to the end of the show, we've been rolling for, let's see, 
Ooh, hour and 25 minutes. This turned down to good, man. This is good. Good roll time. And uh, yeah, so per tradition on the show, rolling towards the end of the show, what I'd like to do is offer you the opportunity to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, and mentors. So who do you got for us, man? Homies, well, definitely Jake Olson, Billy Zeb Smith, and Derek Bauer. Um, heroes, my mom and dad, like, you know, they, they went through some shit and, um, you know, they, they educated us well and we didn't have anything growing up. Like, you know, they were in this old farmhouse and my dad would do farm work to help pay rent while he was doing night school. And my mom was putting herself through school and they went on to have great careers and raise four kids. And I, I don't know how they did it. Um, so they're, they're very inspiring to me. Um, yeah. Homies hero and mentors. Mentor is pretty easy too. Cause that's my father-in-law. Um, he's like a second dad to me and he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, showed me, a different level of work ethic and a different, a different way to look at, um, and what I was doing and how I was doing it. And he's, uh, he's been just fantastic. You know, he's, he's this guy that'll fix any old mower or he'll resurrect a business and make it super successful, but he's not afraid to get in there and, a carburetor and figure it out and it's always been incredible to watch that you know this man could easily pay <laughs> to take the lawnmower and go get it fixed but instead you know he, he is interested in what the problem is and finding the solution for it so i'm getting better at analyzing what the problem is and then finding a solution so oh yeah man yeah. professional problem solvers man You'd probably do good in fire. Just saying, man, we'll see if we can uh, point you in the right direction as far as getting signed up for like an AD or something like that. So an administratively determined firefighter. So it's like an on-call like oh, yeah. person. So if you're interested, man, I could probably point you in the right direction if you want to take a crack at it. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, every once in a while I stop and I'll look back at what I've done in the last few years. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> that's crazy that my life took that kind of, I turn, but those turns have continued to kind of interest me, you know, and uh, as long as I stay interested, then you know, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm going to do this life. So, Oh yeah. Life's full of experiences, man. You got to experience all of it. Yeah. Or try to at least. Yeah. Nice, man. Definitely. Yeah. Got to push against your limits too. Absolutely. That much. Absolutely. Hey, who's, who's the, the guy who's riding across the U S right now with his dog? So that's Kevin, uh, Kevin Conley. Yeah. Yeah. He goes by, uh, on Instagram, he goes by backcountry ninjas, all one word. Yeah. That okay. dude is a fucking stud, man. He's, uh, I believe he's somewhere in the desert Southwest. I want to say he's like outside of Albuquerque. I want to say right now currently. Yeah. But yeah, if anybody's out there like listening to this right now, if you have the ability to like, I don't know, intercept him somewhere or just hit him up on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, or Wow. See if you can like buy that dude a beer, a well-earned meal, a, a hotel room. I don't know. Yep. Take him to your place and like let him shower. I mean, the dude's camping. He's like yep. riding his bike 
across the fucking yeah. country towing his dog. Yeah. For wildland firefighter foundation. Right. Yeah. Raise money. Yeah. He's incredible. Uh, hats off to him, man. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked to follow his journey and, uh, I have been so far, but, uh, I mean, it's what an incredible undertaking for him. I mean, it's probably healing in so many ways as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and just so meaningful. I mean, it'll, what a, what a cool trip. Dude, that mental health component. This is like, so you did your personally, you, the Zach, you did your movie to heal from some past things with your sister, right? With nine 11 and all that stuff like that. He's doing it for very similar reasons. And so yeah. he's got his own flavor on it, but that's his healing thing. You healed yeah. through your pursuit of film. He's healing through his pursuit of writing across the country and raising some money. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, awesome. dude. It's fucking awesome. awesome. Help that man out. Yes. Yeah. That man, yeah, he needs thing. a Fine. beer, pet his dog, get him, get his dog some like bully sticks. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Awesome. But as far right as on. that, man, uh, as far as the movie goes, where can we find your movie? Yeah. So anywhere you can find VOD, like Amazon, Voodoo, Apple, um, direct TV, any of these, uh, major the, channels uh we can rent or purchase a film you're going to find two yellow um or just google it or go to two yellow lines film.com and you'll find we have a link that'll take you to um universal pictures home entertainment page and they have all the links as well but if you just if you just google it where to watch it's going to pull up a ton of choices for you so uh yeah stoked and then this week uh saturday we're, we're doing a screening in Helena, Montana and, uh, and half the door cause we get half the door and then they half the door, but our half will go to Wildland firefighter as well. So we only have eight seats left out of the capacity that they have set right now with the COVID mandate. So we're pretty strong on that as well and get an audience in there, but then, you know, direct that money to WFF as well. So. Fuck yeah, man. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. And as far as you personally, man, where can we find you on the, uh, the old socials in case we want to reach yes. out? Yes. So it's Zach Titus one, Z A C T I T U S one Instagram. And then, uh, I mean, that's pretty much the place I'm at. Uh, <laughs> doing it for the gram exclusively. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My wife is helping me understand Instagram and social media a little bit better. She's pretty good at it. Um, whatever. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't give a shit if I wasn't acting, you know, <laughs> if there's like a, a reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit, so. man. Well, dude, Zach, thank you so much for being on the show, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to pump this movie up, dude. It's a good one, man. Thank you so much for me. Uh, you know, uh, I'm just so thankful to, to be on your show. So pleasure's all mine, dude. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Right on, brother. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Peace. And boom. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Zach Titus from Two Yellow Lines. Uh, yeah, if you uh, want to check out that film, by all means, go to Amazon. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on pretty much every uh, video on demand or VOD 
service that is out there. It's definitely worth the watch and it's refreshing to uh, see something that's uh, a new spin on a fire movie. Uh, a lot of these fire movies that are out there, they're either based around tragedy or they are um, just totally Hollywood nonsense. So it's refreshing to see something new that you have done. Uh, thank you for talking about your role in all of it. And uh, yeah, you're uh, the main actor. Your daughter's the co-actor, co-lead. Uh, you are the producer and the writer. And it's pretty incredible to hear your story about uh, it being an indie film and then getting picked up by a major uh, Hollywood production company. That's cool, man. That's a success story that's uh, pretty much unmatched. It's even cooler that you did the trail to remember that hike through that 24 hour hike through of the backbone trail up in uh, Montana. That's pretty studly, man. So kudos to you, man. Thank you. As for the rest of you, hope you're uh, doing well, and I hope you uh, watch this movie and share it with your friends and family. There's a lot of value in it. Like I said, I uh, can't appreciate this uh, movie enough, and it's actually just genuinely really good. Other than that, special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch, makers of the finest, most comfortable, most well-built damn packs in the fire game. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. And uh, make sure you pick out those uh, assault urban assault 21 and three-way briefcase packs they're bitching we've got hotshot brewery kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause and portion of the proceeds pro a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the wildland firefighter foundation we got the ass movement the finest purveyors of poo bearing propaganda in the entire planet so you got a problem poop problem pooper on your crew go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and last but not least we've got the smoky generation bethany you have an awesome organization over there let's get you on the uh, show here yeah keep it up though well i hope everybody's doing well you know the drill stay safe stay savage we'll see you on the next one peace